Hey, uh, so glad that you are here. If, uh, if you were here last week on Easter Sunday and it was your first time and you decided to come back, I'm really excited about that. Thank you for being here, and I hope you'll continue to do that. But if you were here last week, we, we started a new series of messages called Totally Real, and, and, uh, and we're basing it off of the ideas uh, uh, that the fact that the 1980s, which, which uh, I grew up in the 80s and, and some of you did too, that the 1980s was a time of just big flash and a lot of style. And, and we talked about the fact that there was that famous commercial that Andre Agassi was in where he said, image is everything. And, and, and that was really a decade of that where image was everything. But, but the truth of the matter is, and we talked about this some last week, the truth is that all of us can get caught up into that, to that image. We can, we can get caught up into that lifestyle where we, where we want to be sure that we, we look the right way, that people think about us the right way, and, and we get so caught up in what our image is and, and, and we get caught up, so caught up in style that we push substance to the side and who we really are, we don't really pay attention to that as much as what people think we are. And that even happens in the area of faith and that even happens in the area of, of how we do church. And so today I want us to talk about totally real worship totally real worship and what is totally real worship and 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 what does that mean now now when we think about worship if you've grown up going to church at all when you think about worship uh when you hear the word worship what do you normally think about if you grew up in church what does that mean worship just say something out loud singing music that's right we'll even say hey after the work time of worship the pastor's going to come and bring the message and and then we'll call like chris uh, if, if I'm out in public and Chris is there, I'll say, hey, have you met Chris? He's our worship director. He's our worship leader. He's our worship pastor. You know, one of those words. And I'll say, I'll introduce him as that. And so when we think about worship, we think it's, it's just all about music. And that is a, a big part. And, and one of the ways that you can worship God, that you can worship Jesus, is through music. And, and he, he likes us to do that. And, and, and that brings him glory. But worship is so much more than, than just music. Uh, and, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to look at, in the book of John. If you brought your Bibles with you, uh, I want you to open them to the New Testament. And uh, there's a, that's the second part of the Bible. And the book of John is the fourth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those four books the Gospels and, uh, because they tell the story of Jesus. What does Gospel mean? We do this a lot. What does Gospel mean? Good news. Because the story of Jesus is good news. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the fourth gospel. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to John chapter 12. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry, I'm going to read it. It's going to be on the screen here behind me. But I want to read you a story, just eight verses. And it tells a story of a very genuine, authentic worship experience. And I want you to notice that when I read this, there's no music involved. There's, there's not out of church building there's, uh, there, there's no, you know, no, an offering wasn't taken up. This, this actually even happens in someone's house. But it's, it's one of the most genuine worship experiences recorded in Scripture. And I want to read it to you. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. 
Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should uh, save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. There's a lot of of, uh, interesting things in this story and and things that I think we can learn about what totally real worship is. And so I want to just kind of talk through some of them with you. And the first thing that I think we can learn from this story is that totally real worship comes from your heart. Totally real worship comes from your heart. It's obvious, even if you don't know anything about how things worked back then, and even if you've never been to church, when you read that, that, those first couple of verses, it's obvious that this was something heartfelt for Mary. I mean, you don't, you don't pour perfume on someone's feet and then wipe their nasty feet with your hair. And yes, Jesus had nasty feet just like everybody else, okay? I don't want you to think because he was the Son of God that, that no dirt got on his feet when he walked around. He had feet that were nasty like everybody else back then because they walked around in these sandals in this dusty, arid place where a lot of junk got on your feet. And you don't do that. You don't wipe off someone's feet with your hair after pouring perfume on it if it's not from the heart. That's not something that you can, that you can really fake. And so what you need to understand is one of the reasons why Mary had this heartfelt expression of worship to Jesus. You need to know what happened before this story. Now, if you look there in verse 1, it says this, that, where, that Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That's not a sentence that you read every day, okay? Even back then, Jesus did a lot of stuff, but raising people from the dead was very rare. He only did it a, a few times and, uh, before he raised himself from the dead uh, after he was crucified. And so the fact that, that Lazarus had been raised from the dead was a, a really big deal. Now, why was it such a big deal to Mary? Well, it was a big deal to Mary because Mary is Lazarus' sister. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, brother, two sisters, they all lived together. And, and he was dead. And now what you need to understand is in chapter 11, when, when Lazarus died, we read that Mary and Martha knew Lazarus was about to die. He was really sick. And so they sent word to Jesus. Now, back then, you didn't have email, you didn't have cell phones, you didn't even have regular phones. So it took a little bit of time to get the message there. So Jesus gets the message. Lazarus is sick. Jesus kind of waits a couple of days doing some other stuff. He gets back there, and by the time they arrive, Lazarus is dead. And I mean, he's, as, he's dead dead. As my daddy would say, he's dead as a doornail. He was more dead than Donald Trump's chances are to be the next president of the United States. Right? I mean, that's how dead he was. He was so dead that he was dead and buried. He was literally dead and buried. And if you look in John eleven thirty nine, 39, look on the, the screen, it'll say this. This is how dead he was. Check this out. Jesus said, take away the stone." But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. How many of you grew up in a church where you read the King James Bible? Anybody grew up in a church like that? I did back in the old days. We used to read King James. You know what the King James Bible says in John eleven thirty nine? It's the greatest verse in all the King James Bible because it says, but Lord, surely he stinketh. Is exactly what it says. Instead of saying there's been a bad ever, surely he stinketh. So if you ever get ticked off at somebody and you want to insult them and it really sound like Shakespeare said it, just say you stinketh and that's, that's the whole deal. But so this is, I mean, Lazarus was dead, 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 dead in the tomb buried. And Jesus shows up 
rolls away the stone, says, Lazarus, come out of there, and Lazarus shows up walking out of the tomb. So Mary, you, her, she, everything was hopeless. She thought that it was all over. Now, I know you've, we've all lost loved ones. We've all had people that, that we loved, and, and they passed away. And, and if you're like most people, you hold out hope to the very end that something's going to happen. Even if they're in the hospital and the doctor says it's just a matter of time and they call in hospice and all that kind of stuff, you'll still hold out hope that something can happen. Jesus can still heal them. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna rebound from this. They're going to get well. They're going to get out of the hospital. And you hold out hope to the very end. But I've never in my life been to a funeral where someone came up to me and said, I, I still think Jesus is going to raise that person from the dead today. Once they're dead... Your hope is over with, right? And especially once they're in the tomb, I've never had someone say, hey, you know, we buried my mama last week, but I have a feeling she's going to dig her way out and come back to life. We don't ever, nobody, we don't think that way. And it was the same way back then. So once, once they put Lazarus in that tomb and rolled the stone in front of there, hope was gone. And here comes Jesus, and, and hope is suddenly restored. Lazarus is brought back to life. So this day, when, when, when Jesus shows up at the house, they're having a dinner, it says in verse 2, they're having a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Now, can you imagine what kind of dinner that was? My brother was dead, and now he's alive thanks to you. It was the best stuff that Martha and Mary had ever put together. It was the best stuff Martha had ever cooked, and she was serving better than she had ever served. And so Mary shows up, and her heart is completely filled up with the wonder and, and, and the excitement about the power of God because she had had a very real personal experience with the power of God and so her worship that day was completely from the heart because she was in amazed at how powerful Jesus was and what he had done for her now we should worship with that same type of heartfelt intensity and you might be thinking you know as we read that well nobody that I've ever loved Jesus never brought any of them back from the dead if I was like Mary, sure, I could worship with that intensity because, because Jesus brought somebody that she loved back from the dead, and I understand that, but all the people that I loved and prayed for, they died and they're still dead. How am I supposed to worship with that same type of heartfelt intensity? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, what that means is this, that you were completely dead in your sins. The Scripture says that you were once dead in your sins. And Jesus died on the cross and you accepted that what he did on the cross for you and he brought you back to life. See, without Jesus, we were just like Lazarus, dead and buried. And so the fact that, that Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead and that brought forth in Mary this amazing worship experience for her, the same thing should happen to us every opportunity we get because we were dead in our sins, completely overwhelmed by the enormity of our sins, unable to do anything about it on our own. And because of that, Jesus died for us, and now he's brought us back to life. So we are just like Lazarus. We're walking around with a second chance at life, exactly the same way as Lazarus was. And because of that, we should experience worship in a heartfelt, genuine, authentic manner the same way that Mary did. That should motivate us to worship him. I've heard uh, several preachers in my life, uh, more than I care to remember, and, and I've heard several of them say this sentence, which I like. Um, and uh, they'll say something, what, however old they were when they got saved, but they'll say, yeah, I, 
I got saved when I was 25 years old, and I never got over it. Have you ever heard a pastor say that? That's something pastors like to say. Yeah, I got saved at this age, and I never got over it. And it's kind of funny, but, but I think it's a lot of truth in that. Because chances are, if you're like me, a lot of times we live like we got saved at a certain time, and then we, we got over that. That was like a fad, that kind of fad. Yeah, I got saved at age 8, but by the time I was 16, I had gotten over that and moved on to other things. Or I got saved at, at age 16, and by the time I was 20, I had moved on to college, and I was involved in other things, and being saved wasn't, wasn't really important in my life anymore. But we should all live just like Mary, that, that Jesus brought us back from death. He brought us back from death and our sins, and we never got over it. it, never, it we, we never got to the point where that was old news. We were excited about that. And we could worship him in a heartfelt way the way Mary did. Now, the second thing that I love about this passage that I think we can learn is this. Totally real worship costs. Total, totally real worship costs. Look at verses 3 through 5. Let me read these again. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. By the way, does anybody else think it's weird that the perfume was called nard? You know, today we have perfumes called like Obsession and Diamonds and stuff like that. But could you imagine, you know, if Elizabeth Taylor was alive back then, and she might have been, I don't know, but uh, if, she, if she said, you know, she did a commercial, I'm Elizabeth Taylor, and the only thing I wear when I want to smell wonderful is nard. You know, this doesn't make, it sounds, in fact, the word sounds the opposite of the way it smelled. It sounds like, you know, you'd walk into a room with a bunch of guys and go, Man, who broke open the nard in here? That was awful. What was the matter with y'all? That was pure nard. That's what that was. But, but, this, but here's the deal. This was some of the top of the line stuff. So look what it says here, verse 3. Sorry, I got off track with that. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, uh, and then, uh, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Now listen to this part. Why wasn't this perfume sold in the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now here's the deal. Judas could have been exaggerating some about what it was worth because he wasn't the most honest guy in the room. We already know that because he was stealing money out of the, out of the treasury there, which he was, in, he was in charge of. And by the way, to steal... It was, it was Jesus and like 11 guys, and, and they didn't have anywhere to stay all the time. It couldn't have been that much money, and that he was stealing from it is pretty low. But anyway, um, but so, so G, Judas says, listen, this stuff is worth a year's wages. Even if it wasn't worth a year's wages, here was the deal. In today's money, that nard was worth thousands of dollars, not hundreds of dollars. That's how expensive this was. And so when Mary comes in there, Mary, who's, who's not rich... Mary, who's, who's a regular person in, the, in that day and time, she wasn't royalty, she, she, she didn't have a, a lot of money, so she had evidently saved for a long time. She had, she had put money back and, and was saving this for something special. And, and she comes in there and she breaks open a jar of perfume that is worth thousands of dollars and pours it on Jesus' feet. It's obvious that for her, totally real worship cost something. She, she gave Jesus the absolute best that she had. She, she gave him 
the top of the line stuff. It wasn't like she was holding that back for something else. It wasn't like uh, she thought, well, I'm going to get this old cheap perfume, which is like Nard uh, Junior or whatever it would be called, and I'm going to give that to Jesus because I don't want to waste my good stuff on Jesus. No, she brought the absolute best out and gave it to Jesus. And chances are, if you're like most people, we struggle when we worship to do that same thing. See, we like to worship when it's convenient and when it's easy and when it doesn't cost us anything. Uh, I'll give you a, a story about kind of the way we worship, uh, and it involves, it involves a good smelling stuff too. Um, one time me and Sherry went to Eckerd's together, when, back when it was still Eckerd's, and, um, and we were in there walking around. I don't know what we were in there for. Sherry was getting something, and so I was wandering around the store by myself, and I came across the, uh, the cologne section. They had a cologne section there in Eckerd's, and they had all these tester bottles out. So I'm picking them up and kind of sniffing them, and there was one that was uh, David Beckham. Evidently, they found out what David Beckham smells like, and they put it in a bottle. And so, uh, so I said, well, let's see what David Beckham smells like, and it smelled, he smells wonderful. And uh, <laughs> now I know how he got that wife that he has. And so I, so I took some, some of David Beckham's uh, uh, scent, and I sprayed it on me and put it on my wrist and put it a little on my, on my neck. And I came back over to Sherry and we were talking and she said, oh, that smells good. What is that? And I said, well, that's David Beckham. And uh, so she liked the way it smelled. So we went off and whenever we, whenever we were going that night. Well, like the next weekend, we had a wedding and, uh, and so uh, that I was doing. And we had a wedding rehearsal that night. And so I was a little more dressed up. Well, I was a lot more dressed up than I normally am on a Friday night. And, uh, and so we got all dressed up, and we're getting ready to go to this wedding rehearsal. And Sherry said, I wish you had some of that. Uh, we were in the car on the way, and she said, I wish you had some of that um, stuff that you put on at Eckerd's last week because that smells good. I said, well, we'll stop by there on the way. And, and, she, and she thought, I cannot believe my husband because I never spend money. He's going to go in there and buy. And she said, you're going to go in there and buy some? I said, heck no, I'm going to go in there and spray it on me, right? <laughs> They're giving it away for free. Why would I go buy a whole bottle? And, and uh, of course, then she said, you can't do that and didn't let me do it. But, but the funny thing is, the, oh, did I do that? I couldn't remember if I did or not. So, but the thing about it is, is, is that, that that's a silly story, but that's the way, that's such a different attitude than what Mary had, right? That's the way we view worship a lot of times. Well, if it's convenient and if it's not costing me anything, well, yeah, then I'll worship Jesus. Then I'll wor and I'm not just talking about coming to church, but I'm talking about the way you live your life. Well, if it's convenient for me to follow Jesus, then I'll worship him with my lifestyle. If it's not costing me anything, yeah, then I'll worship Jesus. But that's not real worship. Totally real worship, which is what Mary experienced, is, is worship where it costs you something. I mean, it cost her big time to, to break open that bottle of expensive nard perfume and pour it on Jesus' feet. And not only that, for her to wipe his feet with her hair. I mean, she, she completely put money aside when, when it came to worshiping Jesus. She put self-dignity aside when it came to worshiping Jesus. And the only thing that matters was that he was God and that she wanted to worship him as he deserved. See, if, if you live out a lifestyle of worship, it will cost you something. If you live out a lifestyle of worship at your school, chances are it's going to cost you some friendships. If you live out a lifestyle of worship at, at the place where you work, it might cost you a promotion. If you live out a lifestyle of worship in your checkbook, 
it's going to cost you that new motorcycle or, or jet ski that you were wanting to buy. If you live out a lifestyle of worship at home, it's going to cost you some free time and some TV time and some other things like that that you like to do. Totally real worship costs. But it's worth it because God is worth it. And he has saved us, and so we should be willing to give him everything even if it costs us something, even if it's not convenient. There's a great story in the Old Testament, and I won't, I won't go through the whole thing, but where, where King David has an opportunity to sacrifice something to God, but it's not his. And, and he makes this great statement. He says, I will not bring a sacrifice to my Lord that costs me nothing. David said, if I'm going to sacrifice something to him, it's got to be mine. It's got to cost me. Because then it's a legitimate, real sacrifice. It's a legitimate uh, a time of worship that I'm going to spend with him. Now, the last thing that I, I think that we can learn from this passage of Scripture is this. Totally real worship impacts others. Totally real worship impacts others. Now, one of the things that happens when we get serious about worshiping Jesus when we get serious about trying to live that way, and, and also when, when we get serious about what happens when you come together with a group of people like this to worship, is we have a tendency, because we're human beings, we have a tendency to make it all about us. And we begin to think that worship is all about how we felt after we left the worship service. And so, so you'll, you'll come in here and and if it's a day where Chris just happened to pick all the songs that you really like and, and the, the band just happened to sound the way you think they should sound and, and I talked about something that you're really passionate about, you'll walk out of there and say, man, that was a great day of worship. I really, I could feel, I really worship today, man, I could feel it. But if I come in here and I talk about something that ticks you off but it's in the Bible, and, and Chris picks off a bunch of songs that you think are just terrible, and you're going to walk out of there today, I didn't worship today, I'm going to have to find me another church, I guess, you know, or whatever. And so we, we have a tendency to make worship about us. That's what we do. And, and in fact, and, and that's not a new problem, by the way. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul had to, had to spend big chunks of some of the letters that he wrote, which were all about Here's how you're supposed to worship, and it's not all about you. It had the other people around you are being impacted, and you need to be careful. See, worship, it, it, even though that it's a personal experience between us and Jesus, other people will be impacted. Look at verse 3 uh, uh, there where it says this. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The last part of there says the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary experienced this real personal thing between her and Jesus. Jesus raised her brother from the dead. Jesus saved her from her sins. She wants to have a personal time of worship, just her and Jesus. She busts open this perfume, but the fact that there were other people in the room, it says that the perfume, the smell of it, filled the whole room. Everybody else was participating in that worship, even though it was really just between Mary and Jesus. Other people were impacted by what she did. Everyone was affected. And, and when, when we live our lifestyle, if we live a lifestyle of worship, if we worship Jesus every day through our attitude and, and through, our, through our service to other people, then, then other people are going to benefit from, from our, what we do in worship. Um, when, uh, when we had our first baby, Emily, who's, who's now 16 years old, Emily was just so excited to get into the world that she decided to come a month and a half early. 
and uh, which was awesome, other than the fact that it was a little too early for a baby born, and she was really, really tiny. And, uh, and so she was in the hospital in, in the NICU unit, which NICU is, um, is, uh, stands for we're going to take all of your money to save your baby's life is what that means. And so, uh, so we owed, the, after, after Emily and Sherry got out of the hospital, the bills started coming in. And I didn't even know that that many doctors were in Greenville County, but, uh, but evidently they were, and we owed all of them money. And so, uh, so that she was born in September of 94, so about January of 95, we finally got all the bills in, and insurance was done paying, and we started paying our part. And we paid every month in the year of 1995, we were writing do, you know, um, checks to somebody, and, uh, and it got down towards the end of the year, uh, in, it was in December, and, and we still owed Greenville Hospital System 600 and some odd dollars. It wasn't quite 700, and it wasn't really close to 600. It was somewhere in the middle in there, and, uh, and, and we just didn't have it. We paid everything we could pay, and it was coming down to the end of the year, and I was going to buy Christmas presents for my family, so I'm getting ready to call Greenville Hospital System saying, hey, I know we're supposed to pay you within a year. Y'all just going to have to wait a little bit longer or call the police or something, but we ain't got the money. And uh, before I could make that phone call, um, one day Sherry was at home, I was at work, and Sherry gets a phone call from the business office at Greenville Hospital System, and she was probably thinking, oh, I'm going to have to tell them we can't pay it. And, uh, but before they can say we owe them any money, the lady says, I just want you to know that your bill's been paid, your balance is zero. And Sherry said, well, we didn't pay it. And she said, well, it's been paid and the balance is zero. Um, someone paid our bill for us. Now, to this day, I don't know who did it. I still don't know who paid that. I'm thankful for it. I have no idea who did it. Now, here, here's, here's where I think this has to do with worship. Whoever paid that bill for us, it's obvious that they didn't do it to get pat, patted on the back because they didn't let us know who they were. It's obvious that they didn't do it in order for try to buy our friendship or try to you know, let them know how awesome they were because they didn't let us know that they did that. They did that, I like to believe, they did that just as an expression of this is what we want to do, God's given us this money, we want to give this back to Him, we want to honor God with this by helping somebody else out. And who was impacted by that? Well, they were impacted, God's heart was blessed by that, but also my family was impacted in a big way. We were able to enjoy Christmas that year a lot better knowing that all our bills were paid and we didn't owe anybody anything, which was great. But other people were impacted, but it began as an expression of worship. It began as, this is what I want to do uh, to, to bless God's heart. And what's the important thing is when we start talking about totally real worship impacting others, is this is important. God must be first in all of that. Look at what, look at what verse 5 says again. Because Judas asked a question here. Judas said this, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, for just a minute here, forget for just a second that Judas is a thief, all right? For even though verse 6, John says, the only reason he was asking that is because he's a thief and he wanted more money. Forget that for just a second. Isn't that a pretty legitimate question? I, I, I think it's a pretty legitimate question. There were poor people all over the place back then. Everybody sitting in that room knew poor people. And, and here comes Mary, and she cracks open this thing that's worth thousands of dollars and pours it on Jesus' feet. Most, most of it probably ended up on the floor. And so Judah says, listen, 
She could have just dropped three or four drops on his feet, still would have worshipped him, and we could have taken this and sold it and fed a lot of poor people. Now, we know Judas didn't really want to do that, but I think that's still a legitimate question. So, what, you know, what was the deal with that? Well, let's look at what Jesus said. Uh, 12, 7, and 8. Look, Jesus said this. Shut up, Judas. No, he didn't really say that. He said, leave her alone, which is basically Jesus saying, shut up. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, there's tons of scripture where Jesus talked about feeding poor people. There's tons of scripture where Jesus said, take care of, of folks that need to be taken care of. Why now does he say, oh, you're always going to have poor people, but you're not going to always have me? The point Jesus was making was this. What's eternal must come first. That, that Jesus must come first. That, that your expressions of worship should be directed to him first. Now, if other people benefit from that, that's awesome. If you feed poor people, you should do that. But you should not be doing it to make yourself feel better. You should not be doing it just to try to, you know, I'm going to save the whole county on my own and, and feed all the poor people. You feed poor people because you're doing it as an expression of worship to Jesus. Because what happens is, now here's what will happen. If we begin to do acts of service not as expressions of worship to Jesus, then it becomes all about us and not all about him. Because then we'll begin to say, look at how many poor people I fed this month. Look at the person that I brought in off the street to live in my house. Look at how much I gave to the church. Look at this. I built this building at my church. I was, uh, I was doing a wedding yesterday and, and, um, and there was a beautiful stained glass window. And it, it was a picture of Jesus. I assume he was supposed to be in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was praying, and there was this holy light shining down on his face. And I'm standing there with the guy who was about to get married, who is, who is hilarious. And under the picture of Jesus, it had a woman's name and birth and death dates. And, G, and her name was like Agnes something. And uh, Ben, who was doing the wedding, he looked, he said, look, Agnes has a beard. Because it looked like in the picture, here's a picture of Jesus, but under it it said Agnes so-and-so, you know, whoever that was. And, uh, and I know, you know, I've been in churches where they have people's names on stuff, and that, that's fine if, if those churches want to do that. But the idea is, I think sometimes that takes away from, hey, I'm going to give this money to the church, but I want you all to put my money, my name, on that window so everybody will know I gave it. I think that takes away some from what, what's really supposed to happen in worship. If, you give, if the church needs a stained glass window and you give money for it, then you should give that as a, a direct worship to God, and it doesn't matter if anybody ever knows if you did it or not. Now, other people will be impacted because it's a beautiful window. They're going to be impacted by what you did, but the first thing should be as you did it. It's directed towards Jesus. The eternal has to come first, and that's what Jesus was saying. He said, I'm eternal, and I'm only going to be here on the earth for a short amount of time. I've got to come first. You're gonna, I want you to feed poor people. In fact, Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. So in other words, if you feed poor people, it's like you're doing it unto me. But our attitude has to be as we do that. I'm doing this as service to Jesus. I'm doing this as service to God. And the fact that other people are benefiting, that's great. But my main focus is to do this as service to Jesus and Jesus alone.
that's something that, uh, that our band, who does a great job uh, up here every week, that's something that they have to struggle with week after week. It's one of the things that, that Chris is always helping them focus on, that when they stand up here, that they are doing this as worship to Jesus. Now, if, if you like the way it sounds, that's awesome. But it would, it would be very easy for them to begin to see themselves as rock stars or something even though it's like on a much smaller level. But it but, but it would but be easy for them to begin to think that it's all about them. Hey, listen to this awesome lick I can play on this song and listen to all this awesome stuff I can do and I'm going to really get people's attention with this. But that's not what they're doing when they're up here. Their attitude when they come up here is and should be, we're doing this as, as worship to Jesus and hopefully it will help lead you to worship Jesus. But it's not about them. It's not about what's going on. Uh, you know, I, I told y'all last week, and, um, and most of y'all, a lot of y'all are the same age. I grew up in the 80s. I was born in 1969, so I turned 11 in 1980. And so middle school, high school, most of college years was, was 80s. And so I was into music and movies and all that kind of stuff. And, and like I said, the, in the 80s, it was, it was all about image. And when I started thinking about this message on worship, I started I got, I, got an, I got a picture of two bands from the 80s. Well, one was from the 80s, one was from the 90s. I got these pictures in my mind and just how different it was and, and, and how, how I think we can learn a lesson about our worship from it. In, in the 80s, there was one band um, that, that just was over the top. Here they are. Now, some of y'all are going to go home and download that on iTunes. You'll be like, oh, I forgot about that. I love that song. But that was like normal, everyday practice at that time of the decade. Nobody thought anything, you know, that was like, oh, that's just what bands do. And then I want you to notice what happened in the 1990s. A band came out that kind of changed stuff, and I want you to notice the difference. Check this uh, next video out. Now, did you notice some differences there? The, the second one, it was clothes that the dudes like, I don't know, found wadded up in a corner somewhere and, and that they would wear walking around. There's no hairspray. There was no makeup. The sound was much simpler and, and stripped down sounding. And so it was, it was what happened was there was a reaction from, from what everything had gotten over the top and then suddenly there was this big reaction of, no, we can't be over the top anymore. We've got to be completely, we've got to be mad and upset and completely stripped down and we're not going to smile and we're going to wear this stuff. And so it was a totally different deal. And, and I thought about that in terms of worship and what happens in church. I grew up in a church which is a great church and I served on staff before I was here at a great church, but both of those churches were more what we call traditional. And, and you wore, everybody wore, not everybody, the men wore coats and ties every Sunday. The women wear dresses every Sunday. There's these big thrones on the stage that the pastors sit in, right? And if you're the pastor, you get to sit in the big throne. 
And then I was the youth minister. I had to sit in the little throne with no even arms on it, right? And so, and there was like this, and then there was this gigantic box in front of the stage that the pastor has to stand behind that box. He really shouldn't walk around from side to side. And it comes way up to here, so he just looks like a talking head. And he, and he preaches. And, and, then, and then, you know, the music is, is real old-fashioned and that kind of stuff. And that's the, that's the church that most of us, a lot of us, grew up in. And so then you have a church like this and, and where we say, man, let's get rid of all that. We're going we're gonna to have a reaction against that. We're going to strip all this stuff down. And, and, and we're not going to wear coats and ties. We're going to wear like what we would normally wear to play golf in or just walking around. And, and, uh, and we're going to have um, uh, no, no thrones on the stage. We're going to have this stupid-looking stool without a back on it, right? And, and uh, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to um, uh, stand behind anything to preach in. And we're going to have a big screen with words on it and all that kind of stuff. And so, so we, we had a reaction against that. And, and here's, the, here's the thing. Whether, it doesn't matter whether you liked 80s hair metal or whether you like 90s grunge. The fact of the matter is it was still all music. Now it was going about it from two totally different directions. And, and what we're doing here, what we're trying to do here is worship. And, and what they're trying to do at uh, the traditional churches in our community and the church that I grew up in is worship. And what has to come first is who Jesus is and the eternal has to come first. And we can't get caught up in, well, do we have all the right look and is everything the same way? And, and we can't get to the point to where we say, well, I can only worship if there's an organ. Or I can only worship if there's words on the screen. Or I can only worship if we have blue lights shining up behind the screen. We can't get to that point because it's not about the style. It's about the substance. It's about what goes on between your heart and the heart of Jesus. It's about whether or not when you worship, it comes from your heart. It's about whether or not it costs you something. It's about whether or not your worship impacts other people. That's what tr true worship, totally real worship, is all about. And that happens in lots of different places. I have worshipped God in the most traditional setting imaginable and had my heart completely moved and, and torn up by what Jesus has done for me. And then I've worshipped God in... in in contemporary settings and the same exact kind of result had my heart completely moved by what Jesus was doing in my life see totally real worship happens in traditional churches totally real worship happens in high school auditoriums at non-traditional churches totally real worship happens with 10,000 people in the Bilo Center totally real worship happens with a two guys and a guitar sitting on the pier at the beach Totally real worship happens when you live your life for Jesus day in and day out at your school. Totally real worship happens when you go to work and you have the best attitude in the office when everybody else hates to be there. Totally real worship happens when you forgive someone who is completely and utterly unforgivable. Totally real worship is about what we're doing to bless the heart of God. It's not about style. It's about getting down to the substance, cutting through the image, and getting down to what Jesus wants to do in your life. Now, as we, as we close up, it's, I was thinking about, you know, what, what do I want to challenge you to do at the end of this message? And, and I struggle with this because, really, this is completely between you and Jesus. 
Because you can fool me and I can fool you. I can stand somewhere in church and sing and serve and you think, man, Cliff is worshiping Jesus today. And my heart and my mind might be totally somewhere else. So this is between you and, this is between you and Jesus. What, what's going on in, in your heart? Are you able to worship Him to where it costs you something? Are you able to worship Him where it's heartfelt? And, uh, and I just think real literally a lot of times when I read the Scripture and I thought about that, um, the story about Mary breaking open the perfume. And uh, my question to you would be, what does your worship smell like to Jesus? Does it have a, an aroma like an expensive perfume? Or does it stink? Would Jesus look at the worship that you do and say, don't do that again. That was not from your heart. That was not real. Or would he be around the worship that you do and it just fills up his nostrils and it's a beautiful smell to where he said, that's what it's supposed to be. Only you and Jesus can deal with that. So I want you to bow your heads and let's pray about that. Father God, thank you for, for your word and for this really cool story about Mary. and Help us, Lord, to, to understand what true heartfelt worship is all about. Help us all to experience worship that's genuine and authentic. Lord, the last thing that we want to do is to make worship about us. And so uh, I pray for myself and I pray for everybody else here uh, in this room that, that you would speak to our hearts about how to worship you correctly. That you would, um, you would make us very aware of how, how you've saved us. And, um, and Father, that, that we, would, we would realize and would remember that we were just like Lazarus without you. We were dead and buried in our sins. And you brought us back and gave us new life. And so we should celebrate you for that. We love you. Help us to worship you properly. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.